with what we're going to learn this week too. So we're going to sing it again. So let's stand and sing together. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. Strong in the strength which God supplies through His eternal Son. Strong in the Lord of hosts and in His mighty Pastor Glenn to give somebody a treat if they remember what panoply of God means because I explained it last week.
Welcome to church this morning. If you would like to read the scripture with me that's in the bulletin, it is from Psalm 43, verses 3 and verse 4. Let's read together. Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain. There I will go to the altar of God, and I will praise you. If you would like to bow with me, let's pray before we continue to worship. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can gather together as a family of believers. We thank you that we have Pastor Glenn to teach us your word. We thank you that we have a copy of your word in our language, in our own copies. And we just pray that you would be with us and guide us in our worship of you as we hear from your word, as we sing, and as we pray, and as we fellowship. And we just thank you for the freedom that we can do this together. In Jesus' name we give thanks. Amen. Good morning on this beautiful morning. I'm reading from Acts 13, verses 1 to 12 of the NIV. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul 
for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. John was there as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Pahos, where they met a uh, Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was the attendant of a proconsul, Sirius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Almas the sorcerer, that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from their faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Almas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are, full, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul saw what had happened. He believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Thanks, June. <clears throat> and let's uh, just bow our heads and ask God's guidance on us as we look into this passage of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for your word to us, and as we prepare to go through this particular passage that was just read, we understand that this is your word to us. Uh, Every part of the Bible is your word to us. And help us, Lord, to hear what it is you're saying to us this morning. Lord, I, I, I pray for a special anointing of the Spirit upon myself that what is said would be what you want said and uh, said in the way you want it said so that we can all hear what the message is for each one of us uh, personally this morning. So guide our thoughts and make us all open to whatever ever it is you're saying to us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. It's good to have a handle on what's important and what isn't. The story goes that on one occasion, the captain of the luxury cruise ship, Queen Elizabeth II, or Queen Elizabeth II, I'm not sure how they say that, but you've all heard of that cruise ship. Anyway, the captain, Robert Warwick, he questioned a passenger who paid full fare for his dog to join them on an all-around-the-world cruise. The price tag was well over $25,000 for the dog, just the dog. And Captain Warwick asked him, wouldn't it, have been, wouldn't it have cost you less to leave your dog at home? 
<laughs> and the passenger replied, oh no, when we are away for a long time, when we get back home, the dog psychiatrist fees are so high, it's, it's less expensive just to bring them along. So, <laughs> What's important? The famous football coach of the old Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, reportedly drilled it into his players about what is important in life. Some of you probably heard this quote before from Vince Lombardi. But he told them there's only three things that are important in life. Your God, your family, and the Green Bay Packers. That's it. <laughs> and, you know, I would mostly agree with him. <laughs> Except I would change it to God, family, and the Scotch and Rough Riders. But, <laughs> but joking aside... It is necessary to have a good understanding of what is important and what isn't in all areas of life. There are many who pour most of their time and energy into something that they will find down the road wasn't really that important. And in so doing, they neglect the things that they now realize were the really important things. Like I said, it's true in all areas of life, and it's certainly true when it comes to the area of the spiritual, and perhaps even more true in the area of the spiritual than any other, because our relationship with God and our walk with God and living in tune with our God and in obedience to Him, that is something that we should place as the highest priority. So in our study of Acts, we come today to chapter 13. This chapter is a bit of a watershed in the book of Acts. Uh, there's a change of focus in Acts from this chapter on. The focus shifts from the ministry of Peter and John and the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria primarily. It shifts now to the spread of the gospel to the Gentile world and almost exclusively focuses on the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And as we begin reading in chapter 13, uh, we see he's still being called Saul uh, and from Verse 9, though, is a bit of a shift. From verse 9 on, he's always known as Paul, right to the end of the book of Acts. So he's Saul up to verse 13, verse 9, and after 13, verse 9, he's Paul, all the way through. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman or his Gentile name. Saul was a Jew, through and through. But he was born in Tarsus, in a Gentile territory. His parents had, at some point, become Roman citizens as well, and thus Paul was also a Roman citizen, so at birth Paul would have been given two names. He would have given, been given a Jewish name, which was Saul, and also a Roman name, which was Paul, a Roman or a Gentile name. And even though the focus on the first in the first 12 chapters of Acts has not been on Saul or Paul, uh, he has been introduced, and we are told some very significant things about him. We're told about his background, we're told about his conversion, and some snippets about his ministry after his conversion. So Luke, in writing this book of Acts, has set us up for this transition in chapter 13, where from now on, Saul, who becomes Paul, takes center stage. And going along with this transition is the shift of focus, as I said, of the story of Acts. The focus is now on the gospel, how it was spread to the Gentile world. Chapters 1 to 12 describe, as I said, the gospel being spread to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Chapter 13 talk, 
It's about the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth, if you like. So Paul was chosen by Jesus Christ to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And because of that, this transition of telling the story of the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles and the focus shifting to Paul, that does kind of go together. So chapter 13 begins that transition, and we see in the passage that we're looking at this morning, the first 12 verses of chapter 13, how it started. So again, we're going to take a few moments to go through the text of these 12 verses, and then we'll look at the teachings that come out of this for us. As chapter 13 opens, the scene is the city of Antioch. Big Gentile city, 300 odd miles north of Jerusalem. It was the capital of the Roman province of Syria. Chapter 11, remember back to chapter 11, it recorded how the gospel got to Antioch. And the huge response there was there, with many Gentiles becoming Christians, and the resulting church that was there, really in time would become the center of the Christian activity. So Antioch, that's a scene as this chapter 13 opens. Verse 1 tells us it was a church that was rich in gifted prophets and teachers. There were several there that had the gifts of either prophecy or the gift of teaching, or perhaps some both. Gifts given by the Holy Spirit for the building up of the church. And they're named for us there in verse 1, the prophets and the teachers that were there in that church. Of particular note to us is... Barnabas and Saul. Now, those two were not native to Antioch. They were not recent converts from the revival that broke out there in Antioch. Barnabas was sent by the Jerusalem church when that revival happened to check out what was going on in Antioch to see if it was of God or not. You remember a few weeks back we looked at that. And upon realizing that, it, yes, it was Indeed, a great work of God. Barnabas saw that this crowd of new believers needed to get some good teaching. And so he went and he got Saul to come to Antioch for that purpose. To teach these new believers in Antioch. And for the next year, the two of them taught these new believers at Antioch. We saw that in chapter 11. So Barnabas and Saul were two of the teachers there at Antioch. And the others are named. Those others, by the way, they're an interesting study in and of themselves. There's a lot of good stuff there just studying who those other ones were, but we won't do that today. For our purposes, the ones of interest are Barnabas and Saul. Verse 2 tells us that while these people were ministering to the Lord and fasting, that the Holy Spirit gave them some instructions. That is, to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work which God had called them to and I've often wondered, just how did the Holy Spirit communicate that with the people of this church, with these church leaders? How did he tell them to set apart Barnabas and Saul for this special work? <laughs> what was the Holy Spirit's method of communication? Well, we're not told. It just doesn't say. It could very well have been through one of those prophets that are mentioned there in verse 1. That's what this gift of prophecy included. At this point, a special gift to convey the revelation of God to his people. But we aren't told. All we know is that the Holy Spirit communicated this message to this group. And it seems like it was this group of teachers and prophets who were the ones fasting and praying together when this message came to them from the Holy Spirit. 
By the way, notice that the message from the Holy Spirit came to them while they were fasting and ministering to the Lord. We assume that praying would have been included in that. Fasting and prayer always go together in the Bible. But the Holy Spirit spoke and directed while that was happening, while they were fasting and ministering to the Lord. I think that's worth pondering. You see that several times throughout the scriptures, how God seems to speak and direct while people are fasting and praying. I'll leave you to ponder and meditate on that for a bit. <laughs> so they got the message from the Holy Spirit. And then it sounds like from verse 3 that they fasted and prayed some more. And then they laid hands on Barnabas and Saul, kind of like a commissioning service. Symbolizing a special anointing of the Holy Spirit for a special task. And they sent them on their way. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to the port city of Seleucia. That was a city right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. About 15 miles away from Antioch. It was the port city for Antioch. Antioch was the capital, but the port city, the main port for the city of Antioch, was the Seleucia. So there at Seleucia, they caught a ship and sailed to the island of Cyprus. Did the Holy Spirit include in his instructions that they should go to Cyprus? And again, we're not told. The island of Cyprus, that's a big island in the Mediterranean Sea, uh, it had connections with Antioch. And Barnabas himself originally was from Cyprus. We're told that earlier in the book of Acts. So whether those things played a part or a factor in them going to Cyprus, uh, we aren't told. As I said, Cyprus is a, was a large island, still is. <laughs> quite well populated, even at that time it was quite well populated. Uh, if you want to look at the maps in the back of your Bible, you can see the big island of Cyprus off the Mediterranean, just off the coast from, from uh, that Seleucia city. And there were, there was people from a lot of different nationalities uh, lived there on Cyprus. So they got to Cyprus and to the city of Salamis. And immediately it says they went to the Jewish synagogue there and began to preach that Jesus was the Messiah. That all the good Jews were waiting for the Messiah. It's Jesus. He came and he, they proclaimed the rest of the gospel message. And we, we will see as we go through the rest of Acts that this will always be the practice of Paul whenever he goes anywhere. Uh, he would go first to the Jewish synagogue in the city and preach the gospel to Jesus there. And then when the Jews rejected the gospel message, he would focus on the Gentiles. So they went to the synagogue in Salamis. And then, at this point, we're told that they had taken John with them. This is John Mark. Uh, we were introduced to him a bit earlier, I think it was last week. Uh, the prayer meeting where Peter went after he got released from jail. Miraculously, he went to the house of Mary where there was a prayer meeting. Mary was the mother of John Mark. This is the same guy, uh, John Mark. And they had obviously, they had taken John Mark with them to Antioch. Paul and Barnabas had when they went from Jerusalem back to Antioch. They had taken John Mark with them. Now they're taking John Mark with them on this first missionary journey. Uh, so that's uh, something worth noting. So after the preaching of the gospel in Salamis, it says they journeyed throughout the whole island and ended up at the city of Paphos, or Paphos, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but Paphos. It was a city on the opposite side of the island from Salamis. And something interesting there happened at Paphos. Paphos. They ran into a Jewish man who was a false prophet. His name was Bar-Jesus. Now remember... Uh, 
Jesus was a very common name among the Jews. Uh, it was only after the time of Jesus Christ that people quit naming their kids Jesus. <laughs> Before that, it was a pretty common Jewish name. So Bar-Jesus means literally son of Jesus. Anyway, he was a magician, verse 6 says. He used sorcery to convince people he was a prophet with special, a special connection with God. But he was a false prophet. He had, however, apparently gotten in with the proconsul of, of Cyprus. Uh, the proconsul, that's kind of like the governor appointed by Rome, the governor of Cyprus. Cyprus was a Roman province at this time. It was governed by a proconsul. The proconsul was appointed by the Roman Senate. And this proconsul is named for us, Sergius Paulus. What a name, <laughs> Sergius. Would you like to be named Sergius? <laughs> It just strikes me, that's all, Sergius. Sergius Paulus, and Luke informs us that he was a man of intelligence, this proconsul. Smart guy. And apparently, this false prophet had gotten in with him, was his personal attendant, he had some influence with him. But apparently, the proconsul had heard of the preaching of Paul and Barnabas, and he wanted to hear more. So he summoned them for a private meeting. But this magician, this... False prophet tried to block the meeting. And he likely knew that if the proconsul believed the gospel, his days as a magician and person of influence with him was over. <laughs> so he was trying to block it. And so this false prophet and magician is also called Elymas. Apparently, Elymas means sorcerer. So that's what verse 8 is talking about. He was doing his level best to stop the proconsul from hearing the gospel. And when he did hear the gospel, Elymas was trying to turn him away from it. Likely telling him, don't believe this stuff these guys are telling you. Listen to me, I'm the prophet who will tell you what God is saying, kind of thing. Assume that's what's going on. Try to turn him away from the gospel. But Paul then had had enough. And verse 9 tells us that he, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at this false prophet. And he had some very stern words for him. <laughs> Verses 10 and 11. Paul said to him, you are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and not see the sun for a period of time. And then that happened immediately. Darkness came over him, and he had to have someone lead him around by the hand. Well, when the proconsul saw that, verse 12 tells us he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Obviously, this Messiah, Jesus, whom Paul and Barnabas were talking about, was way more powerful than whatever Elymas had powers to do. And Elymas was exposed for what he was, a false prophet, a fake. And he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. And the teaching of the Lord, given to him by Paul and Barnabas, was confirmed in this proconsul's mind. It amazed him. It was shown to be the truth. And our passage for today ends on that note. And the lesson for us today that comes out of this passage, that I see anyway, about, it's about the spread of the gospel and what is important in the spread of the gospel. We as Christians, we're told to be involved in spreading the gospel, in telling others about Jesus. What are the important things to keep in mind 
as we do that. That's what I see for us here in this passage. So we as Christians need to understand what is important in spreading the gospel. And a study of the important aspects of the spread of the gospel has come out here in this passage, I think will help us to grow in this understanding. So there's three things that come out for me anyway as I study this. There may be lots more <laughs> truths that I'm not going to look at, but these three things that stood out to me. Number one, the importance of recognizing Jesus as head of the church. The importance of recognizing Jesus as head of the church. And bear with me and I think you'll see what I'm getting at. We saw the same idea last week, and here we see it again. In this story of Paul and Barnabas being sent out from the church at Antioch on what would become known as Paul's first missionary journey, who's in charge here? Who's in control? Verse 1 to 3 stood out to me in this regard. And it should be something that all of us know. And I think on a certain level we do. But, but this is important. Paul and Barnabas, along with the other prophets and teachers in this Antioch church, they were doing their thing. They were fasting. They were ministering to the Lord. And as I said before, I assume praying as well. Those two all go, always go together. And then in that context, the Holy Spirit came with some direction for this church. They were to set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work he had called them to do. By the way, you notice something significant there. It says, set apart Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas is always named first. Then as you get after what happens here in this chapter, it's always Paul being named first from then on. But here's Barnabas being named first. Just a little interesting tidbit for you. <laughs> set apart Barnabas and Saul, or Paul and Barnabas, for the work that he had called them to do. That's what God said. That's what the Holy Spirit said to them. Now remember, the book of Acts is about Jesus' continuing ministry after he ascended to heaven, physically left this earth. Now he's doing his work on earth through the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of mention in the Holy Spirit in this book of Acts, as Luke records how the Holy Spirit directed the apostles and the followers of Jesus, how Jesus directed his church in the work of spreading the gospel. Jesus is the head of the church. The Bible is very clear about that. And as the head of the church, he is the one who directs, among other things. He does so through the Holy Spirit. And we see that exemplified for us here in these first three verses. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gives directions for Paul and Barnabas to leave the church at Antioch and go to the work he had called them to do. And, and I don't think that really would have been a surprise, especially for Paul. Right at his conversion back in chapter 9, he was given the information that Jesus was appointing him to bear his name before the Gentiles. Uh, so Paul knew about this calling, that he was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And now in 13 verse 2, he is called to leave Antioch, start out in the work that God called him to do. And Paul knew what that was. Because <laughs> he had already been given that information. So what I see here, friends, is that Jesus is the head of the church. And that means, among other things, that Jesus directs his church and his followers 
in the spread of the gospel. He does that. And we see that here in the first three verses. And the reason I think this needs to be emphasized is because at times I think we as Christians morph into the mindset that the spread of the gospel is all on us. If we are at all serious about spreading the gospel, and if we aren't, we have a problem. <laughs> as Christians, we should be serious about spreading the gospel. So if we're at all serious about spreading the gospel, and we know Jesus has told us to tell others about him, then we better get on with it and get doing it. So we get morph into that mindset, which is not wrong. But then we start thinking, we better get serious about this, and we start planning and strategizing about how to be most effective at spreading the gospel. And we have seminars on how to effectively share the gospel. We do research to see what is proven to be effective and which areas should be targeted. And we train church planters and to go and plant churches in what we see as strategic areas. And we spend a lot of money doing all of that. Because we're serious about spreading the gospel and obeying Jesus and doing that. So we better get on this task and better take this on our shoulders and get on with it. And listen, I'm not speaking against any of that. Any of that stuff. All of that has its place and is useful. What I'm talking about is a mindset or an, or an attitude. It's easy to morph into the thinking that getting the gospel out to others is all on us. We have to figure out how, we have to figure out who, we have to figure out when, and we have to figure out how to raise the money for it. And then we have to get on our horse and do it. I think we would do well to regularly stop and remember that Jesus is the head of the church. He gives the directions. And what happened here is I think a good example of how that works. It reminds us of who is the head of the church, how he said he would build his church, and what we do needs to be under his direction. He will decide when and where and who. And will direct us accordingly. Jesus is the head of the church, which means he's in charge of the spread of the gospel. And he uses his followers in doing that as he sees fit and when he sees fit. And we need to always recognize that. That's important. Secondly, the importance of being in tune with and obedient to the Holy Spirit. That's the second thing I see here that's important. The importance of being in tune with and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And I was struck again from these first three verses of how quick this Antioch church, as well as Paul and Barnabas, were to obey the Holy Spirit when he gave the directions. They didn't balk at it. They didn't start second-guessing the people chosen or the timing of it. To our knowledge, they didn't spend a lot of months figuring out logistics. They just recognized the Holy Spirit had spoken and directed, and they obeyed. That's what it says. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the leadership of this Antioch church. The Holy Spirit had given the indication to send out Paul and Barnabas. How do you think they would have felt 
the leadership of the Zantioch Church, how do you think they would have felt about receiving that command? Did they wonder if it was really the Holy Spirit directing? Maybe they were getting their wires crossed. Maybe it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was some other spirit. Did those thoughts ever enter their minds? <laughs> and then, did they question the wisdom of the directions? And the timing of them? How do you think they felt about the whole thing? Well, we just don't know any answer to any of those questions, of course. Um, I just know how I would have felt. If I was one of those leaders of the Antioch Church. I know how I would have felt on receiving those orders. What? There are two main teachers. There are, those two are our two most mature and gifted members. They came here to teach all of us because we're all new Christians. And they've been so good at teaching us and helping us grow and mature in our knowledge and our faith. And they've been here only a year. We have so much more to learn and they have so much more to teach us. There's no way we're going to let those two go. That would have been my response. I guess it's a weakness I have. I get very possessive of good, mature, gifted people in the church. I don't ever want to let them go. Not particularly proud of it, but I know that would have been my immediate reaction. Very human response coming from a very sinful human nature within me. We don't know if the Antioch church leadership, how they felt about the Spirit's call to Paul and Barnabas here. We're not told. It isn't about anyone's feelings anyway. What we are told is that they recognized it very quickly as the directions of the Holy Spirit, and then they just obeyed and did what the Holy Spirit directed. That is exemplary. And we see from this that this is important. It's vitally important that we are in tune with the Holy Spirit and that we are obedient to him. We just saw that Jesus was the head of the church and that he directs. And we need to recognize that. And he will direct through the Holy Spirit. How do we receive directions from the Holy Spirit? Well, we first need to be in tune with him. He already indwells us if we're Christians. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us indwelling us. We need to be in constant communication with him so that we are in tune with what he is doing and what he is directing. If we aren't in commun constant communication, we will not be in tune with him and likely won't catch it when he directs. How do we stay in tune with him? With the Holy Spirit. Well, obviously, very obvious. First, the Word, the Bible. Before the New Testament was written, the Holy Spirit used other means to communicate. But at this time, and then as time went on, yeah, as time went on, the apostles wrote down the revelation of, from God that we need to know for all Christians from then on. So we stay in tune with the Holy Spirit by regularly reading the Bible. Uh, there's no way to get around that. Reading it on your own. Getting involved in a Bible study. Putting yourself under the teaching and preaching of the Bible. That has to be there. For you to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Now it doesn't guarantee you will be in tune. Because you can sit there and listen to me preach all you want. But if you're not really listening. <laughs> if you're 
on your phone <laughs> looking at scores, <laughs> you're not going to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Nobody's doing that this morning. I just threw it out for sake of humor. <laughs> but that's important. That it has to be there for you to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, also spending time in prayer. And I'm not talking necessarily here about spending a block of time, say 10 minutes a day or 15 or 30 or 60 minutes a day where we pray. And then thinking, well, I've done my praying for the day so I don't have to think about God for the rest of the day. <laughs> no, I'm talking about being constantly in the mindset of prayer where you are talking to God all day long while you're doing what you're doing. So that's important in being in tune with the Holy Spirit. Now, notice as I said before, the Holy Spirit came with the directions here while they were fasting and ministering to the Lord. Verse 2 tells us that. And as I said before, prayer would have been included in that. They were in tune with the Holy Spirit. And so when he spoke, they realized it immediately. And they obeyed. Friends, this is important when it comes to the spread of the gospel. Jesus will direct it through the Holy Spirit. It's vital then that as we as Christians, or that it's vital that we be in tune and obedient to the Holy Spirit. Be in the Word. Be listening while you read and study. Read and study the Word with an open ear to what God is saying, and then be in constant prayer all day long. And then when you hear the instructions, you'll get it. You'll know it. And then you just obey and just do it. And that obedience part is important too. Because it's possible to get the directions and to know it, but then to not obey it because you don't like it, what you're hearing. I remember when I was in Montnebo, uh, I got a knock on my door about 2 o'clock in the morning and woke me up. And here was a guy, he had walked down from the bar, he had missed his ride home after the bar closed, and he needed a ride home. <laughs> and I was, well, ticked, angry. <laughs> I was very angry, because I was, but did not appreciate being woken up in the middle of the night and having to <laughs> deal with this. And so I just thought, well, the quickest way to get this guy out of my hair especially in the state he was in, was to just give him a ride home and be done with it. And so, I said, okay, sure. So I get in the, and I'm just steaming, steaming mad. I told him, get in the car, I'll give you a ride home. So I started driving him home, and he starts yakking and talking. And then he starts talking about, you know, my, I can't remember exactly what it was, his, his mom was from his Catholic or Anglican or something. His dad was something totally different, and he was whatever. And, and he says, I don't know. I don't know what's right. And I don't know. He says, what do you think? He asked me. And <laughs> I, I, I'll never forget this because I'm ashamed of it to this day because I was so mad. At that point, I just wanted to get him home and get him done with it. So I kind of, I don't know what I said. I said something, but I knew at the time the Holy Spirit was saying, Glenn, you got an opportunity here to share the gospel. And I disobeyed because I was so mad. So, it's impossible to hear directions from the Holy Spirit and to disobey. So, that's why I included both of those in that point. We need to be in tune to the Holy Spirit and obedient 
to the Holy Spirit. And I missed an opportunity to share the gospel with this guy who was asking. He deliberately asked. And I missed it. So we see the importance of being in tune with and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And thirdly and finally, the importance of standing firm against antagonists of the gospel. So Paul and Barnabas, they sail off to Cyprus. They tell the story of Jesus throughout that whole island. Come to the city of Paphos there, right at the end, where they run into this false prophet, this sorcerer, who did his best to stop the proconsul Sergius. <laughs> Sergius, Paul, what a great name. <laughs> From hearing and accepting the gospel. And you know, I was thinking about that. That will always be the case. If you're involved in the spreading the gospel, this will always be the case. People in their natural state, controlled by their sinful human nature, they will naturally be resistant to the gospel. Sharing the gospel, in a way, is kind of like swimming upstream. You're going against the current of the world around us. So while there will always be those, as the Holy Spirit opens their minds and hearts, there will always be some in that group, though, who will be open and accepting of the gospel. There will always be some opposition. There will always be people opposed. Maybe resistant. Maybe that's most of them. But the Holy Spirit does his work in opening hearts and minds. And there will be some that will accept. We don't know who they are, so we go and tell everybody. But there will be some who oppose it very intensely. Some will vigorously fight against the gospel being told to anyone. Like this prophet, false prophet Elymas here in this passage. Not only was he resistant, he tried to stop Paul and Barnabas from sharing with the proconsul. He was he fought against the gospel even being told. But notice Paul didn't back down. He didn't let this opposition intimidate him. He stood firm and he called them out for what he was. And as I read verse 9 to 11, I find myself thinking, boy, Paul, you sure didn't worry about being overly politically correct, did you? <laughs> but then I read in verse 9 that Paul looked at this guy and filled with the Holy Spirit, he said what he said. In other words, what Paul said was directed by the Holy Spirit himself. What Paul said was, in essence, the words of the Holy Spirit. So I guess the Holy Spirit wasn't overly concerned about being politically correct either. <laughs> but what we see here as being important in spreading the gospel is the need to not be deterred by those who are antagonistic to it. They will always be there. And those who are intensely so and are actively engaged in trying to prevent people from hearing the gospel, they may need to be called out and told exactly what they're doing. You are fighting against God Almighty himself. Why are you perversing the straight way of the Lord? They need to be told that, how they are an enemy of God. So when it comes to spreading the gospel, we need to stand firm against those who are antagonistic to it and not let them hinder us or intimidate us or stop us. And if occasion calls for it, to call them out for who they are. Yeah, there may well be consequences of us doing that, but 
those consequences are worth it to keep the gospel spreading. It's important. Don't let antagonists stop us or hinder us. So therefore, we see from this passage some important aspects in spreading the gospel. Number one, the importance of recognizing Jesus as the head of the church. He will direct. Secondly, the importance of being in tune with and obedient to the Holy Spirit. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Listen. And thirdly, the importance of standing firm against antagonists of the gospel. We as Christians need to be involved in spreading the gospel. That's clear from our Savior coming through his word to us. That is clear. But let's remember what is important as we do that. So let's take our time of silence again and just open yourselves up in your own heart to what God may be saying to you personally this morning from his word. Amen. I include in your uh, little sermon note sheet that I put in the bulletins every Sunday, that's uh, down to bottom, what I need to do in application or a thought I never had before. So if for time of silence, uh, God says something to you, write that down there. You're going to forget if you don't. That's why I put it there. So make sure you do that so you'll remember what God told you here this morning and what you need to do. Music team, please. Stand and sing together.